This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Hey, welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, this is going to be a very fun, interesting episode, and I'm just going to touch on a little bit of this topic. Uh, it's quite a bit to take in. Um, I believe I titled this one, The Most Valuable Collector Car Options, which as you can imagine, there's a million options out there. And then how do you, how do you quantify an option? Is an option, you know, the different body styles you pick, or is it strictly the options once you buy a car, such as, you know, automatic windows, automatic stick shift, uh, you know, the type of uh, rear end you have in the car or whatever. So this is just for fun, entertaining purposes. Um, There's two things that made me want to do a podcast about this. So let me get this a little closer here. Uh, So first off, I had two cars that I always wondered about. Well, I guess really like four cars. Uh, So the first one is strictly the Lexus LFA. I think that's a really cool car, and one thing I have found fascinating is that for the LFA, it really only had one option that I'm aware of, and that is you could either get the regular version or the Nürburgring version, which is a performance package, and the price difference is astronomical between the two, so uh, you know that one option to add to performance package has almost doubled the price of the car in today's collector car market. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought it would be fun to kind of dig into that a little bit from other options. And the other car or cars, I should say, are the alloy cars. So uh, the big three, I would say, would be an alloy Jaguar, alloy Gullwing uh, from the 1950s, as well as the alloy Ferrari 275 GTBs, the four cams. Um, Many different reasons that there are alloys versus non-alloy cars. I believe, I might not get this totally correct, but for the Mercedes Gullwing cars, uh, the first handful were made out of aluminum, and then they realized this car was going to be more popular and more in demand than they thought. They would have to build more, and they they couldn't take the time to do aluminum, so they switched to steel or other uh, materials. Um, And then sometimes the car is lighter for the reasons of being uh, for racing, so it might be an alloy car from that one. I'm thinking of like maybe the Morgan SS, which has an alloy car, which is an alloy car. And what's also interesting is when I looked up alloy, it's a little confusing because an alloy is when you mixed when you mix two cars together, specifically um, two metals together. So um, whereas aluminum is a base element, so technically it's not an alloy. You wouldn't call a car that's made of aluminum an alloy car unless it was like 90% aluminum, 10% something else, which may be the case. I did notice in uh, Haggerty's database, they have the, I believe it's the Ferrari as an alloy, but the Mercedes as aluminum. So, you know, I'm picking minor details here, but I just thought it was interesting. You know, why call it an alloy if it's actually aluminum? Uh, So anyways, I was going to do one episode all about alloy cars, and I realized, you know what, there's a lot of cars that are made of aluminum that are not called alloy cars, like a lot of Ferraris. And then um, I I also realized that I could kind of work it into this topic of just options in general. So 
let's dig into it. Um, I'm going to have some pictures here if you're on YouTube and some charts uh, that you will see. If you have not seen my Jay Leno one from last week, I apologize for some reason. It got flagged for copyright issues. And it's weird because there was no sound. So I, I wonder if YouTube can uh, can pick up the YouTube video that I had on there kind of screaming in the background and called that a copyright issue. So I'm going to insert some pictures instead. And that should um, allow it to be posted there as well. So I'll have some pictures here shortly. But first, I wanted to go over some of the general, tradi more traditional uh, options that increase or decrease values, at least from a collector car perspective that I always think of. And one of the first ones, which... I'm curious to see what direction it will go to go in the future would be whether or not a car has an automatic or a manual transmission. Uh, I mentioned last week there were some articles about, you know, folks loving a manual transmission, yet today's generation doesn't really have a manual transmission available except for a few select cars. Uh, so it still does play a factor when it comes to uh, the value of cars, at least collector cars. So I did go through every single manual transmission collector car in uh, Haggerty's database, but I did pick a few just to see what the general trends were. Uh, one is the 1993 Porsche 911 Carrera. If you have the Tiptronic transmission, you actually have to decrease uh, the price by 10%. And it's same for the 66 Ford Mustang GT, uh, again, minus 10%. Um, now, some of these cars, it's a much bigger impact uh, for them, uh, you know, versus a percentage. So, from a dollar dollar percentage. So if you have a Hemi Cuda uh, for the coupe, that's a $57,000 deduction because you have an automatic. Now for the convertible, which there's only a handful of those ever made and they're multi-million dollar cars, the impact for an automatic transmission is $150,000. So very significant for sure. Uh, let's see a couple others. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, other Hemi cars, you actually add 10% for a four-speed, uh, but it depends on the car, like a Lamborghini Murciago. You actually have a 35% increase for the manual, and that's actually probably a lot higher even now uh, as the analog supercars are taking off. The one I definitely wanted to look up was the Ferrari Super America. Uh, I know, you know, having a six-speed manual is pretty rare, but I believe in that car there's a very small amount. So it goes to not only the fun and enjoyment, and the popularity of having a manual transmission, but then you go into the numbers, the rarity of a car having a manual transmission. And I believe the number, something like 42 Super Americas have um, a manual transmission. So what is the price premium for a six-speed in a Super America? Well, you you double it. It's a 100% increase. And honestly, I think it's even higher than that. Uh, if you're watching online right now, you'll see uh, my cat Piper has joined me. She's on the back of my chair right now. She just took a nice little stretch. And uh, she's settling back down. Uh, so yeah, Super America with a six-speed, you actually double the price of the car uh, because of that manual transmission. All right, let's look at a couple other things. Um, some things are uh, fairly straightforward. If you have air conditioning in some cars, it's really not that big of an increase. Again, 66 Mustang is 6% increase. Uh, for the Chevrolet Bel Air, the 55, 56, 57 cars, it's actually a 15% increase. Fashion Vega, it's only a 5% increase, which surprised me a little bit. And then for the Cadillacs of the late 1950s, it's a 10% increase. So AC does impact it, not quite as much as, say, a manual transmission. Uh, let's see, how is it impacted for the engine size? So I'll go into this a little bit more in depth when you pick that option. 
for the larger engine for a, a 57 Bel Air, you actually decrease the price of the car by 20% for a six cylinder. And then uh, this is interesting for a Duesenberg, if it's a non-matching engine, but a correct engine, you deduct the value of the car by 15%. So that's a pretty big hit uh, on that one. So like I said, I'm gonna compare some of the different engine sizes here in a moment from a valuation standpoint to see what is the impact of checking the 427 big block engine in that Shelby Cobra versus the 289. All right, some other things here. Uh, I'm gonna close at least this first part with what is the most impactful uh, option. I did find one that is incredibly impactful to the price of the car. Uh, let's go into some wheels. So Jaguar XK120, uh, let's see, if you have the original wire wheels, um, those are $2,500 boost. Now here's a really big one here. Oh, let me go Fashion Vega again, 6% for uh, wire wheels. Here's the real big one that everybody knows about. The Mercedes-Benz 300SL Gullwing. If you have those Rudge wheels, that's an extra $50,000. And I'll talk more about the uh, 300SL here in a second. Now I did pull some interesting options that you don't see every day and you know they're somebody didn't even know existed uh so it's pretty interesting let's see uh if you have a different carburetor setup so i know this would be on some of the super burrs if they have the six carb the six pack versus the four barrel uh that's a pretty big increase on the ferrari 275 gtb if you have the six carb setup it's 10 percent increase and also for that same car if it has the torque tube which if you're uh, not a ferrari expert you probably have no idea what a torque tube is, uh, extra 10% if you have that torque tube option. And that, that was actually a later uh, build option on those cars. Now here's some interesting ones. So for, for like a 5960 Ferrari 250 California Spider, big dollar car, you know, those are tens of millions of dollars. If it has the side vent option, which I thought was fascinating, that's a $50,000 bonus right there if you have the side vents as an option, as well as the hard top. Hard top, again, $50,000. Now let's go back to the 300 SL Gullwing. The fitted luggage, that is an option for those cars, adds $20,000 to the price of the car. And the Becker Radio adds about $2,500. Now, two more interesting ones before I get to the really big one here. Uh, for Shelby Cobra, now this, is, this would be the big block cars. Uh, you actually add 15% make sure I read any of that correctly, for narrow hip cars. So those are the ones that do not have the huge fenders that you typically think of when you think of an AC Cobra, which all of the aftermarket replica car, continuation cars have. If it does not have those, if it's the narrow hip cars, you add 15% to the value. That was pretty interesting. All right, here's one of the runner-ups for most expensive. Well, this is a midpoint, but... Uh, for a Cadillac Brougham, 1958, fairly rare, very beautiful four-door suicide door Brougham with a stainless steel hardtop. If that is missing its vanity accessory kit, <clears throat> that's $15,000. Uh, they have a little kit. I thought it had a couple shot glasses and maybe a little mirror and a compact for um, the lady who might be in the car. Uh, I believe that's uh, those are available aftermarket, but $15,000 if you're missing that vanity kit. All right, the big one, at least for this first part, uh, the Duesenberg again, uh, the difference between a base engine and a supercharged engine, going from a J to an SJ, $500,000. So talk about a big hit in the option bucket. Well, But I will tell you, that's not the biggest one. We'll learn a little bit more here in a second. All right, so I am going to switch this up. Uh, let me see here. I am going to pull up uh, some values here. 
I know you like to hear evaluation trends, so I have a lot of one-year trends. And then I'm also going to compare some of these cars to the base car. So this one is going back to the alloy car. So I really wanted to go back to the, th the three big ones, uh, the Ferrari, the Mercedes 300SL, as well as the Jaguar XK120, the alloy cars, and just compare them to what the base non-alloy car is. And so this first one is the 275 GTB 4-cam alloy. Uh, these are all number one condition prices, uh, $5.7 million, one-year change, up 14%. Now, if it was a non-alloy 4-cam, the price there would be $3.6 million. And that is actually up 28.6% latest one year. But that's a $2.1 million difference between the alloy and the non-alloy car. So that option to have the alloy is uh, worth 58% more than the base car. All right, the next one will go to the Gullwing. I'm getting, there we go. We'll go to the Gullwing. Let's see, the uh, aluminum Gullwing is $8.2 million. Now that's up 9.3% latest one year. Now the base car is actually $2.3 million. That's a huge difference. Uh, the base car is up 39.4%. So I believe there's 26 uh, aluminum Gullwing cars. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but um, it's somewhere around there. So that is a massive difference. That's actually a 256% increase over the base car to have uh, the alloy car. So very, very uh, big difference between the two. All right, the third alloy car we'll go with is the 1950 Jaguar. Keep that off. Jaguar XK120 Alloy Roadster. In number one condition, $363,000. And up, oh, I'm sorry, down 4%. And the base Roadster, $172,000. So uh, that one's up 4.9%. And so the difference between the two is 111% premium for the alloy Roadster. So not quite as big, definitely, as the Mercedes, uh, but more than the uh, percent increase for the alloy uh, Ferrari. All right, next. Let's look at, let's see if I got this right here. Yeah, so let's look at the... 1960 Ferrari 250 California short wheelbase alloy spider. Uh, this is an example where all the Ferraris of that period, I believe, were uh, aluminum. So why call them alloy? Um, and this one, I'm just comparing it to um, another. Uh, actually, this is short wheelbase versus long wheelbase. So um, the short wheelbase 1960s were $24.5 million, up 4.3%. The 58 Ferrari long wheelbase is worth $12 million. Uh, so that's double the price, long wheelbase versus short wheelbase. Now, I, I will give a caveat here. Uh, for some reason, that 1960 is jumping out a lot more than the 1959 or the 1958. So could be a couple other things at play there. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is if you look at the long wheelbase cars and you figure out if you want the open headlight where it is not covered or the closed headlight where it has... Um, glass or plexiglass on the headlights. So if you're looking online, the example I'm showing right now does have the closed headlights, which is a much uh, prettier and smoother version. Uh, so let's see, the closed headlight is worth $12 million. The open headlight is worth $11 million. So, you know, a million dollar difference because of the headlight option. So that's pretty huge. Uh, let's see, looking again at, 1961. Okay, I did 
I did that one. All right, so now let's move to the next one. This one, we're looking at different body styles. So let's see, I got that one. We're gonna look at 1966 Ford Mustang and GT Fastback. Now we wanna compare this one to the base GT Coupe. So the Fastback is worth 82.9, up 9.9% latest one year, while the Coupe is worth 64.6, up 10.1. So the Fastback is a 28% premium. Now I realize you don't necessarily pick these as options. It's like, do you want the Fastback or the Coupe or you know the convertible? But it is pretty interesting. Now I'll also say this in a second. I will go deeper into uh, coach-built cars in the future, um, but I'll touch on that in one moment here. All right, so the GT Mustang convertible, the difference between uh, the convertible, 69 grand, uh, up 10% in the coupe, 64.6, again, up 10%. I don't know that I'd buy that. This uh, database is telling me there's only a $4,000 difference between the coupe and the convertible. I'm going to throw a red flag on that one. I don't think that is correct. Um, I, I've always thought as the convertibles, you know, really being worth quite a bit. All right, next one is the 1993 Porsche Carrera 2 Targa. Number one condition up, 100, I'm sorry, 120 $4,000 up 2.5%. Compare this to the base um, Cabriolet, $79,000 up 8.2%. So this is an interesting scenario where the actual convertible Cabriolet is actually worth less than either the Coupe or the Targa. You know, normally you think the convertible is always worth more. Same situation with the Mustang. The Fastback is actually worth more than convertible. And uh, in the in the Porsche, same kind of thing. The coupe is worth the most, and then the Targa, and lastly would be the convertible. All right, let's see. I want to compare. Let's see. There's the coupe. Uh, the coupe for the Porsche is $148,000, up 9.6%. Uh, and compare that to the Cabriolet. That's a $69,000 difference. That is huge. 87% premium to have the coupe versus the cabriolet and then we get into the 50s for those of you who are wondering when i'm getting into the 50s we have the 1957 chevrolet bel air number one concord condition $69,000 up 2.1 percent and then when you compare that to the four-door sedan this is a big jump $39,200 up 2.1 percent as well so that's a 76 percent premium from the coupe four-door sedan um I'm sorry, I'm comparing that to the four-door sports sedan. So that's comparing the two sport, the two four-door sedans for 1957, 69 grand versus 39 grand. So you got about a $29,000 difference. And then I wanted to compare the uh, the sport coupe. So that's the two-door. That's $105,000 up 10.5% compared to the four-door sedan. That's a $65,000 difference between the two-door and the four-door. Uh, I wanted to compare the, the four-door to the uh, Nomad. Nomad is $121,000, so that's $81,000 premium between the four-door and the Nomad. And then finally, I wanted to talk about the convertible, which is the most iconic. That's $192,000, up 29% year-to-date. And between that and the four-door sedan, you're talking $152,000 difference, almost a 400% premium to go between the four-door coupe I'm sorry, the four-door sedan and the two-door convertible like the one I'm showing here online. So really, really big, incredible difference there. All right, what do we have next here? 
Let's see, talked about the coop. All right, next, I wanted to go into the Cadillac, the CTSV versus the base car. Uh, if you've listened to me recently, you'll know I'm a big fan of these. So let's see. The CTSV Coupe, that's the two-door coupe, uh, is $58,000, down 3% latest one year. Compare that to the base sedan, which I'm showing a picture of here, base four-door sedan. That's 53.9, down 3.1. So it's only about a $4,000 difference between the two-door and the four-door, which I find surprising. The big difference, and this is really interesting, is with the wagon. So the wagon is actually the most popular one when it comes to the CTSV uh, Cadillacs. Number one condition, $99,900, up 12%. You compare that to the base, and uh, it's $46,000 more to get the wagon, or 85.3%. So huge difference, and that's the only scenario uh, correct me if I'm wrong if you know of another scenario where the wagon is worth more than the two-door coupe. And I just mentioned the uh, the Nomad. I, I guess it would be the 57 Chevy as well, but I'm thinking more modern cars here. All right, like I said, I'm going to do a special on uh, Duesenbergs, or not necessarily Duesenbergs, but coach-built cars. So this is where, for example, with the Duesenberg, uh, you might get the chassis and the engine and the drivetrain and everything, and you take it to your favorite coach builder, which maybe is LeBaron, and you get everything put on it that you want. There's a lot of different coach builders out there. There's Rolston, Murphy, Willoughby, a lot of different ones, like hundreds. And I am going to do my best to kind of identify, you know, which were the most popular. Um, how do they impact the value of cars? Now, this would also include Packers. It would include Lincolns, Cadillacs, Chryslers from the 30s. Uh, 20s and 30s. So I, I really want to dig into that kind of deep. If you're a coach built expert, shoot me a note. I would love to uh, love to talk to you about it. Maybe have you on as a guest because I think it's fascinating that you know what there's a Duesenberg that's coach built by LeBaron that is super you know desirable, but then another coach builder maybe it's not as desirable. So let's talk about that. So I pulled up here a 1930 Duesenberg Model J coach built by LeBaron. Now, number one is $2.25 million. Now, all the Duesenbergs are flat year to date, just to know, just so you know. Now, if you looked at the, uh, let's see, one built by Murphy, again, another four-door dual cal Phaeton, it's actually 2.65, so it's $400,000 more because it's a very attractive design. Now, we're gonna go down from here. If you get a two-door convertible, Victoria, so this is more desirable, it's a two-door, not a four-door, uh, convertible by Rolston, it actually goes down to four, $1.4 million. So you almost cut it in half based on the style. And then kind of at the bottom, at least from my perspective and the database information I have, is a four-door by Willoughby, $865,000. So there are attractive Duesenbergs, there are unattractive Duesenbergs, but it's the same powertrain, drivetrain, it's just what goes on top that is a little bit different. So you can have a Duesenberg from 850 grand to $5 million. Uh, just depends on who built the body. All right, the next one we're gonna look at are the Cudas. So the 19, let's see, this is more of an engine size. So I wanted to compare some of the big Mopars to the big dog, the uh, 426. Uh, so I just picked uh, three convertibles here. I picked a 440 convertible. I'm sorry, four. The base car is the 383 cubic inch big block Hemi Cuda, I'm sorry, Cuda convertible. That in number one condition is $196,000. Uh, 
It's actually up 61% latest one year. So then I wanted to compare it to the next three. So that would be the 440 cubic inch, the 446 pack, and finally the big 426. Big differences. They're all CUDA convertibles from 1970. So visually, they're almost identical. So like I said, the 383 was $196,000. The 440 was $340,000 up 15%. So that's 144 grand more to go from a 383 to a 440. A lot of that has to do with the rarity of the number that were built. Now, if you bump up to the 446 pack, you're up to $595,000. Mopars are doing well. That's up 42.7%. And over the base 383, you're spending $400,000 more to get that 446 pack under the hood. Now, here's the big jump. This is a crazy jump because there's so few of them. I want to say there's like 12 or 14 of these. The 1970 Plymouth Cuda Convertible uh, 426 Hemi Power. This is the one that is known as the uh, most iconic, you know, the most expensive muscle car ever built. Uh, $4 million in number one condition, up 2.6%. So that is a $3.8 million difference between the two. Uh, the base 383, almost 2,000% increase. All right, we just have a handful of uh, handful more here. I appreciate you sticking with me this long. Uh, let's see, the next one we're going to look at is the AC Cobra. Now, this is a 428 I pulled up here. All right. So, basically, on this one, you have the base 260 AC Cobra, which was early 1963. Those were $950,000 in number one condition. None of the Cobras have increased or decreased in the last year. Uh, a step up would be the 289, and the 289 with rack and pinion. I picked the rack and pinion one. That's $1.4 million. So you're, you've got almost 500 grand difference between the two engines. Then you want to go up to the, let's see, the 427. You know, I didn't pull the 428s, but the 427s, $2.1 million. Uh, and then the 420, 427 competition cars, the SC, $3.3 million. So big jump when you're talking about AC Cobras going from the 260 to the 289. Actually, I just happen to have on the screen here, uh, the 428 car, uh, 1.35 million in number one condition. So not a big difference between that car. Oh, I'm sorry. I do have it here. Okay. Um, I did have it listed. So, uh, not a big difference between the 428 big block car, interestingly enough, and the small block 289 rack and pinion car, only $50,000 difference. Very interesting. All right, I've got four more I wanted to review. Let's, uh, we'll end on the Lexus because that's probably the one that was the, uh, you know, sparked my mind to create this episode. Uh, let's see, the next one I thought was interesting is the 1967 Chevrolet Corvette L88. That's the big, big engine for that year. Only 20 or so built. Again, rarity um, compared to the base Corvette convertible. So 67 base Corvette convertible, small block. $145,000 up 26.1% latest one year. Well, the L88 is $3 million up 3.4%. So that is a massive increase there. Uh, and then I also want to look at the Black Series Mercedes to see how they compared uh, to the base. So this is the uh, the modern day Gullwing. In this example, it's uh, 2012. It's the base model SLS AMG. Uh, Gullwing is $340,000 up 5.3%. If you jump to the Black Series Gullwing, that's $870,000 up 5.2%. 
So that's over double, almost yeah, time and a half, what you need to spend uh, to get the Black Series versus uh, the base SLS, which is pretty special in itself. So this is, again, an example of a performance package. The other performance package I wanted to mention, um, I don't know that you would call it Coach Built, uh, but in 2012, I believe, or 2011, and then again in 2019, Corvette optioned a carbon uh, package that you could get. And that's pretty cool because it has carbon body panels, so that would make the car lighter. I don't think there were any much other mods done to it, but that you can almost look as a coach built thing, or you could look at it as a performance package. A couple of different ways to go there. So, like I said, the one that started it all was the Lexus LFA. So the base car is $988,000, up 11% latest 12 months. And then if you want to spend 70 grand, that's what it cost to add the Nuremberg performance package, uh, it went up to $1.9 million, 18.8%. So that $70,000 spend for the option package today is worth over $900,000 in value. So if you were to look at this from an ROI perspective, your return on your investment, it would, it would have returned 13 times your initial investment. So pretty interesting. I know that was a lot. Um, I appreciate you listening as always. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends, family, um, and I appreciate it. Check it out on YouTube. I'm trying to do a little bit more there, show up some more visuals of what we're talking about. Sometimes I forget as I'm talking. But uh, as always, appreciate you watching, listening, sharing, subscribing, all that good stuff. And I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.